And I think that if we want to, one, do better as a field and to better prepare the people who are going to look to work in this field, like we need to do better jobs of incorporating those into the conversation. Oh, 100%. And I think it's kind of a silly thing. Like you were talking about the expectation of people going through a master's degree just for an entry level position is we're putting people through the grinder of like two to three years of grad school to then go do an entry level position that might not challenge them to the degree a master's degree would uh, suggest and then only to show them they don't want to be in the field or that there's not much room for moving up and then they just leave. Right. Like the, and then if you didn't have a tuition waiver for grad school, you're now in way more debt and you're, your degree you have out of spite (laughs) or even with the tuition waiver like how much more debt have you accumulated like I had a tuition waiver but because I was living on my stipend was embarrassingly small and so like I had student loans just to be able to afford like the day-to-day living of buying groceries and getting gas and I had to move across the country so I took out a loan so I could move right and then get a car and live yeah. And so like, how much does that tie in? But then I like, you asked the question earlier about like, how prepared was I? Like, for the most part, everything I do as a professional two and a half years out is almost exactly what I was doing in my assistantship in grad school. Like, and that's why I was saying earlier, like my assistantship prepared me more, I felt like for working in this field than my academic program did. Hello and welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman, bringing you another week with some daily disruptors and everyday educators within the field of education. Uh, last week, Katie Ham uh, interviewed our friend Lauren Cashin from the band Sharp Tooth. Uh, a lot of folks ended up enjoying that one, which is really great to see. Uh, there were even two episodes because Katie and Lauren talked about so much great stuff. It was so great. This week... You hardly even have to deal with me. Again, you get a whole week where you don't have to deal with too much of Craig. It's going to be great because I've asked five of my colleagues uh, in the field of student affairs to sit down and chat with me. I did a bunch of individual conversations with them, and it's going to be a little bit of a collage of a conversation uh, this week. And actually next week, this is going to be a two-part episode because there was so much to cover uh, on this topic. We're talking about grad school preparation for the field of student affairs in higher education. And my focus was to bring in people that are fresh, that are fresh in the field, new professionals. Everyone you're going to hear from has only been in the field less than three years. And they're from all over the country. We have someone who went to graduate school in New England, someone who went to graduate school in the Pacific Northwest, someone who went to grad school in the South, the Southwest, and even the Midwest. We have people 
chatting about all different types of experiences, sharing their different perspectives on what to what to expect and what they think are positive and uh, critical critiques of graduate school and higher education uh, and student affairs. Before we get to that, just want to give a heads up. This week we're playing tunes from the new No album. That is N-E-A-U-X. No. I know. Pretty interesting way to spell no. Uh, they have a, a brand new album out on the Native Sound. It is called Chain Up the Sun. Uh, it came out just a couple weeks ago and we're playing some tunes thanks to our friends at the Native Sound. Uh, and you're going to hear a full song later on in the episode. And if you would like to give us a follow on on Instagram or Twitter, go to edupunkspod, E-D-U-P-O-N-X pod and you can find out more cool stuff about what we're doing and behind the scenes of me just posting that i'm doing conversations it's actually not that interesting but i share some cool pics uh from the people we chat with and extra music stuff from the record labels that uh support the podcast and that we support so Let's get into uh, this podcast. You're going to get some introductions from folks as they share uh, their first little uh, information about themselves, and then we'll launch into a bigger conversation. Here we go. My name is Alyssa Fry Orlando. I went to grad school at Boston College. I did my master's degree in higher education there, and I graduated in May of 2016. And since then, I have been working at Merrimack College in North Andover, Massachusetts, so just north of the city. And I have been working as a graduate admission counselor. Uh, So I work directly with our education students, um, and specifically our higher education graduate students on applying to and, you know, finding the right fit for them and then helping them enroll in programs if they're accepted. Kind of reaching out to grad students or helping them through the process. Yeah. First, I want to get into if you felt prepared applying to or researching or looking into grad programs. Um, And if not, (laughs) what were some things you learned along the way? I don't think I necessarily felt unprepared in the sense that, you know, I was very organized. I had a spreadsheet. I researched programs. I knew I wanted to move to Boston. um, So that was my like kind of top priority in terms of researching programs. Um, But so I knew I I wanted to move to Boston uh, just because, you know, it was close-ish to my home, but not so close that I couldn't, you know, like go home every weekend. Uh, So I mainly looked at schools in Boston, in Buffalo, where I'm originally from, and then in California, because I had this like grandiose idea that I was going to move to California. Um, And then my now husband is from Kansas originally. So I looked at the University of Kansas because he thought we were going to move back to Kansas. We didn't. Um, So I didn't feel unprepared in the sense that I was very organized. I was very on top of application deadlines, just a personality trait that I have. I think where I faltered was 
researching programs that fit who I was as a student preparing to go into this field. Um, I am a very administration focused student. And I think had I known that going into the BC program, I may have looked more closely at other programs that focused more on less student facing roles. And not to say that I don't love the student facing portions of my job. Um, but I am a stronger strategizer and all over business person than I necessarily am in a 100% student facing role. And the BC program, for those of you who don't know, is comprised probably 96% of the student affairs concentration students and 4% of the administration students, meaning that me and two or three of my cohort mates were really the only people in the admin focused classes for two years, um, along with doctoral students and other students taking the courses as elective. So our courses were, you know, maybe 10 or 12 students, which was great for us because we got to learn a lot in our program. Um, and we got to learn from doctoral students who totally shaped how we thought about the material and helped us, I think, advance our perspectives on, you know, organizational decision-making and organization and higher education as a whole. But for the most part, um, it was a very detached program in that sense. I did take some of the student affairs courses and those courses, you know, were a lot bigger. They had 25, sometimes 30 students in them at one point. So I think in that sense, it would have, I, had I known that I wanted to do more organizational decision-making and leadership type coursework, I would have looked at other programs that that was the curriculum in it. Um, and not to say that I didn't have it, but I just didn't feel like it was the main focus of our program. So. My name is Joey Barra. I am currently working at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. And for grad school, I went to Indiana State University. When I was very first starting out, I was feeling a, a little bit lost and nowhere to start. But thankfully, I had a good uh, uh, supervisor that uh, showed me the right way to go. And so he had referred that I go to uh, join the Future Student Affairs graduate uh, page on, uh, on Facebook. And so from there, I was able to just swim through the wealth of information. And uh, eventually, I was able to find the NASPA graduate program directory. And from there, I was like, oh, so there's different uh, programs that focus on uh, different aspects of student affairs. There's some programs that are more administrative, others are counseling focused. And so with me, I was definitely more administrative driven. And so I was able to start narrowing it there. And then came the next part, whether it was, was I going to take the GRE or not? And so for me, I didn't really want to go through taking the GRE, especially since there was that option where you didn't really have to. Um, not a big fan of standardized testing. And that just stems back from my music education background and everything else. Uh, yeah. Not a big fan of standardized testing. Same. And so, Same. I'm so glad to hear that you made a decision actively, like I'm not doing GRE because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, it was just a lot of money, a lot of stress in my very last uh, semester of graduates. I mean, of my undergraduate experience. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to be about that life. And so uh, I, I was able to narrow it down even further from there. Uh, 
I chose like a couple of schools out on East Coast, a couple of schools out West, and then I had a few schools in the Midwest that I was looking at as well. And so from there, it was, I literally just filled out all the applications, sent in my money to the uh, admissions offices. And from there, I mean, I ended up going, I went to Indiana State for my undergraduate experience, and then I decided to go back. Uh, I had a few offers at another at other schools, but I decided to go back to Indiana State because I had left on a bad note. And I'm like, well, I want to be able to go back and actually have good memories. And so I ended up going that direction. It was somewhat familiar, but I really wanted to be intentional about my experiences there. So, I mean, once everything, I was able to have a game plan and everything else, uh, Applying to grad schools was pretty easy for me. My name is Lisa Gilbert. I am a third-year community coordinator with University Housing at Coastal Carolina University, and I graduated with my master's in higher education administration from Florida State University. I think at the time, I relied very heavily um, on the, I guess, like anecdotal Um, assistance that I was getting from some of my friends who had just done the higher ed grad school search the year before, um, as well as some of the professionals in our housing department, because even as an undergrad, that was where most of my, um, I guess, like involvement came from. But like with the type of institution that I went to school at being small, we were not a school that, for instance, had the NASPA undergrad program. Like we didn't have enough program. Um, There was no true like resource or pipeline for that, I guess, at my institution. And so everything that I was doing was very much based off of um, the two good friends I had that ended up going to grad school the year before me. Um, And then like what I was able to research online and from um, that future student affairs professionals uh, Facebook group or grad student group, whatever it is. Um, so I don't feel like I was adequately prepared. Um, I knew that I was trying to stay in the Southeast region just because I was for primarily for in-state tuition purposes. Um, but also so I could stay close to family because of my dad's health at the time. So I kind of limited myself in terms of what institutions I was looking at. Um, but I don't feel like I knew well enough what to research for. Um, so like here I am two and a half years post master and I like easily am able to articulate the differences between like a research-based program versus a counseling. Um, and I'm able to look back at my time at uh, FSU and realize like the, how heavily the administrative component of my higher education administration degree was there in terms of like heavy research and things of that nature. Those were not things that I knew to look into or look for when I was applying to grad schools. I did not understand the difference between a counseling-based program versus a research-based program. Um, I understood the cohort model simply because my two friends went to institutions that had cohorts. And so that was something that I knew that I wanted. Um, But otherwise, in terms of like specifically, I think what to look for academically, I did not feel adequately prepared in in my program search. Um, and I was a lot more focused, I feel like, on my assistantships than I was on the academic piece. Uh, my name is Derek Picard. I'm currently working at Mitchell College in New London, Connecticut, as a campus life coordinator. And what that entails is a little bit of everything. Um, so I do some work with housing, some work with student activities, 
and I work with our student worker programs. And then I did my master's at the University of Louisville in Kentucky. Um, I leaned very extensively on supervisors that I worked with at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, so Dr. Paul Eaton, Dr. Wilsencraft, who was a faculty member, but was connected to people in student affairs. Um, I worked with another gentleman, uh, Kyle Smith. Um, so I leaned on them and their networks and kind of started to pick their brains. I knew going through the grad school process, I wanted at the time to kind of stay along the, the Southeast corridor. Um, so when I was going through the search, I remember I narrowed down to I think five programs. I narrowed down to University of Louisville, Ole Miss, Georgia, um, Virginia Tech. There's one more that I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but I wanted to kind of stay in that general area. Um, VT was almost kind of like an outlier for me. I knew somebody who was there, spoke very highly of the program. Um, a lot of the information I dug up was directly from the institution's websites and kind of touching base with people at each respective institution and kind of talking with them, whether it was through phone or through email. Um, so a lot of that informal touch point basis. Um, after a while, I think all the information starts to look the same. And yes, so I, 100% agree. And so I, I felt I felt prepared in, in that sense. Like I knew what each program was offering. Um, I guess I wasn't really prepared for what came after. You submit everything because you, you go through the application process and then you do your personal statement. You take the GRE. I hated the GRE. I did not take the GRE. Oh, I did. And... <laughs> I stopped studying for it after one of the questions had an object drawn that looked like the Death Star. So I, I stopped at that point. Um, but I ended up going through Let's that. Let's take so a break for a that, And then the only program I actually got a second, I guess you could say a second stage and, you know, accepted into was the University of Louisville. Um, and at the time, as much as I love as much as I loved my experience there and I loved the University of Louisville, um, Louisville's program was different in the sense that they did year-round admissions. So traditional programs do only in the fall and you're guaranteed an assistantship in some sort of capacity. Um, the University of Louisville didn't have that type of assistantship structure. So I made it up till maybe two, three weeks before classes started, I had interviewed with a couple offices. Nothing really fell through. Excuse me. Um, and it wasn't until maybe a week before classes started that I got a real quick, there was an opening. I jumped on it, interviewed, and the next day they offered me the position. So I literally like packed my car up over the weekend and drove 13 hours. Because they were like, we need you here by Monday. And I was like, Jeez. okay. Oh, yeah. We threw everything in the car. It was like me, my mom, my dad, my granny. Everything in my car. Bam. So my name is Veretta Pegram Floyd. I currently work at the University of Oregon. I um, just hit eight months. And I am the Student Services Assistant Director 
for the Department of Cinema Studies. Uh, essentially, what that means is that I do all of the student services functions. I'm essentially a um, student services or student affairs office of one within academic affairs and academic unit. And I went to graduate school and I'm actually a double um, alumna of Seattle University. I went through their master's in education, student development administration program. So I think that that's a loaded question for me. And I, <laughs> and I say that because my grad school process, I think that there, you know, we talk about traditional, non-traditional students. I would say that I was a non-traditional like graduate student in terms of student affairs. And the reason I say that is because, um, so I'm a first generation college student. I'm also a former foster youth. So there are some things that I'm really bitter about in relation to like funding and what I know now about money that I could have got from the state of Washington. Cause I'm a native Seattle light native Washingtonian, um, about how I could fund my education versus all the debt that I'm in now. And just things in general about like, searching for programs that I didn't have the knowledge of at that time, but I now have the knowledge and really try to impart in my students. Now, again, part of the reason why, um, I think we need to not forget that the educational pipeline issue is an issue even in higher ed. So, um, so for me, I went, I actually started the SDA program. Um, so again, student development administration, SDA, um, program right out of undergrad. So I graduated, um, in 2007 and I started the program and then I had a miscarriage, um, and my grades tanked. So me and the program had to have a conversation. Um, and they were just like, you have a great story. You have this great skill set. You are not, you cannot be here right now because you're not taking care of yourself. I need yeah. Um, and so again, thinking about your work, Craig, like I could have used you at that time, um, <laughs> but like I agreed, um, tearfully and, um, and I'm going to get emotional goodness, um, and took time away. So I was gone for two years and then I came back. I had to retake some of the classes. Cause I said, like I said, after the miscarriage, my depression, I just wasn't doing well. So took those two years off. And then that two years really, came back a stronger student. I was also older. Um, and the program generally, if you come in, um, you know, and do your two years, you're, you're done typically student affairs programs are typically two years. And for me, it took with the time off six years. So that's where I say I, I'm, I'm non-traditional. So some things that I wish I would have known, um, to, to prepare, you don't have to have all your functional, like what you want to do in the field in terms of the functional area when you get ready to graduate or, or even throughout your educational trajectory, you don't have to have that all figured out. And that was something that when I started the program, I was stressed. I was like, I'm going to be out of here in two years. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't know what I'm really passionate about. I think that I like this, but I don't really know. And on the end, like on the other side of that, in hindsight, I recognized that, you know what, to some degree, I'm going to like, there's certain experiences I want to get out of certain jobs and there are certain roles and work that I like to do. But I have now recognized that I'm going to let to some degree, the, the job um, that I'm currently in guide some of those experiences to help build, to gain that knowledge and then move on to the next thing. I think the other thing about preparing is I, got recommendation letters to apply, you know, to the big, um, student affairs programs. So like Bowling Green, Vermont, 
Um, I also looked at Boston University because, again, trying to keep on with the Jesuit tradition. Um, Boston called. Mm, I always do that. I think it was. Anyways, the Jesuit Boston. <laughs> and I didn't um, I didn't really know that student affairs was a career option, unfortunately, until like winter, almost winter term. So uh, quarter system, Seattle University and undergrad almost winter term. And by the time I kind of figured out, cause I was hemming and hawing between social work, which is my undergraduate degree and my major at that time and student affairs. And I was having these experiences concurrently. I was an in- intern with the drug court, um, for social work practicum. And then I was an RA and heavily involved student leader, which again, that's that student affairs story. Right. Um, and I didn't know that this was a career that I could pursue. So I had to make some decisions really quickly. And I think that it would have been better for me to take a gap year and then have started because during that two years when I left the program after the miscarriage, I actually looked into potentially going um, into a master's in public administration program because most of my professional experience is not from higher ed. It's nonprofit access work in affordable housing. So, you know, um, and that's where I figured out that I want to do access work and retention work in, in higher ed. But yeah, I think that's, so to summarize, cause I think I said a lot, I think understanding that this was a career option. I didn't know until later in the game understanding that I didn't, a gap year could have been something that could have worked for me, but also when educational difficulties and personal difficulties arose that I could come back, discern, um, well, (laughs) leave, discern that I actually wanted to be committed to this and then come back. I I like exactly what you're saying with, um, you don't need to know exactly what your trajectory is going to look like. I mean, I took six years to just do my undergrad and so doing, taking a few years, even extra to do your grad school, like there's, there's no shame in that game. And I, I was, I was definitely one of the older people in my grad program. So it was, uh, it was a little different. And I went in thinking I wanted to do student activities and then realized that nah, wellness work was what I was going to get called for. And I'm really glad it did because I'm, it's, I'm way better at it. So we're going to take a quick break uh, from the conversation with all five of these folks to talk to you a little bit about uh, a new podcast that my friend Dustin Ramsdale is uh, premiering. It actually premieres on Wednesday, tomorrow. Uh, It's the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. Dustin uh, ran the uh, Student Affairs Collectives podcast uh, for like three or four years and I was actually a guest on it a couple of times. He was kind enough to bring me on and interview me for a few things. And uh, now I want to repay the favor and hype him up a little bit because he's launching this new podcast on his own through higheredgeek.com. Go through go to higheredgeek.com slash podcast to find out more and to hear the little preview of the podcast and subscribe and follow him on Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and you can learn all about everything that Dustin has been doing 
throughout uh, his career as a student affairs professional. You can read his blog. You can check out all of the other uh, cool newsletters and, and media stuff that he does. Uh, there's a lot on his site. He does a lot of really cool stuff. And he's just a genuinely really great dude. So if you want to see some cool stuff that another creative human being in this field is doing, support Dustin. Support du- HigherEdGeek.com. It's higheredgeek.com. Follow his podcast. It starts on Wednesday. And yeah, let's get back to this conversation with uh, all these folks that I have on the podcast this week. Holy crap. I'm not even, I'm not even there. It's not even me this week. All right. Bye. How, how do you think we should properly prepare people for applying to grad school? Like what sort of expectations should programs put out there? What kind of information should people put out there? What types of things should advisors and mentors uh, impart onto people when they go to search um, for grad programs um, to kind of make the process a little bit easier for them? So I think I will start looking at this from an advisor lens. And I really think it yeah. starts either like late high school, early, early undergrad. And I say that because one of the things that I see students struggle with and actually have been talking to students about in the future student affairs, um, graduate student Facebook group is like some of the questions that I see about, well, who do I ask for a recommendation? Who is giving them this knowledge? Right? Like I know that now because Again, in hindsight, I, I've learned these things through trial and error, but how are we preparing students to make sure that they know that their academics are going to come into play when they're applying to grad school? And, and it's and not just master's, but doctoral in terms of funding and scholarships, um, thinking about who they're going to write their rec- who is going to write their re- recommendation. So they want somebody that's a strong recommender, but how does that play out in different student types? So how does that play out with a transfer student who just started at this institution? Do they also, are they also aware and are we conveying to them that they can also get this recommendation from previous professors, instructors at their previous institution? Um, so I think one, we need to prepare students for, the um, specifics of the application um, in terms of of the the mechanics, I guess, of the application process of building those relationships now. And we, and like, we'll talk about mentorship, but I think this field is very loosey goosey in relationship to mentorship um, and, and the expectations and the um, way we talk about it. You have to do a little bit of everything, right? Websites are always great because that's generally the first point of contact that you'll go towards. Um, But then expanding the network from there. So definitely some sort of social media outreach, whether that is, you know, the department's Facebook page or the program's Facebook page or whatever that platform is that those institutions would use. Um, I always think back to my experience as uh, as an undergraduate ambassador for Louisiana Lafayette. And us kind of being on the website as touch points for students who were interested in coming. And so maybe something like that as well, leveraging those student connections, being more transparent in how long the process actually takes. Um, 
because you get the deadlines and the deadlines give you something to kind of look forward to. And I know sometimes things can change, right? We know higher ed changes, budgets change all the time. And sometimes things can get moved around in terms of, at least from the graduate student's perspective, um, whether or not decisions go out. I think there's a lot of different factors that tie into fixing the preparation piece. Um, I think that if our um, national slash international um, organizations want to better assist people entering this field, they need to kind of step up their game um, and what resources they offer um, and making those, I think, more widely known to institutions in their membership that aren't just institutions that have um, those like prep programs like the NUF program. So I think that one, those organizations need to do a better job on their websites of providing some resources um, versus just listing what schools have grad programs. I think that grad programs as a whole need to do a hell of a lot better with their websites. Uh, They are not great. I remember there were several schools that I crossed off my list solely because of their website and the fact that I couldn't navigate trying to find um, like required coursework or what did um, financial assistance look like on their campus. Like there were institutions that I completely marked off my list because I could not navigate their website. And I think that that Florida State would have been one of those institutions for me if I didn't have a friend who was in the program while I was searching. Um, and so for me, that was like the saving grace for Florida State, I guess, was because their website was atrocious. And so she was able to say like, nope, here's a different link to this, even though the link on their website was dead. Um, or the fact that someone in the higher ed program had created a separate website that was hosted off of Squarespace instead of the institutional uh, website because they were having issues getting the higher ed website updated. So they created their own different website that isn't linked on FSU's website. And so I only gained access to that from my friend and then later through like the higher education programs Facebook page. And so I think websites are a huge piece of it. And then I also think as practitioners, we need to do better. I mean, there's the ongoing conversation and debate about uh, how oversaturated our field is getting, which I very much believe to be true um, in terms of the number of student leaders that we are just pumping into higher ed programs that one, don't understand the realities of the field. And I think that that's because we're not necessarily doing our best of explaining it to them. I think that we get really excited as a whole field, whenever we're like, oh, there's someone that we've put a lot of great work into, they would do so well in this field. And we don't necessarily prepare them for the realities of what it's like to be in this field, um, whether that's the daily work or the job search or the post-entry level pieces. So I think that a lot of it also falls on practitioners, especially at institutions where you don't have enough programs or you don't necessarily have um, a lot of those formal resources. I think that we need to do better of preparing people who express an interest in grad school for higher ed about looking at, okay, what is the reality of working in student affairs in higher education? What are things that you can expect? How is it going to be different? And then I think really kind of hammering home that you don't go into this field because you want to continue your life as a student leader. Because like that's gonna, like in my experience so far, I feel like that is one of the major reasons why so many people are unhappy in entry-level positions in this field because they're not adequately prepared to know what to expect for it. And then they go into it and it's nothing like they were hoping for or, or expecting. And then they don't necessarily know how to manage it or navigate that landscape. 
And so then you run into issues like burnout and um, just a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I think that while there are a lot of different pieces to that preparation puzzle, I think a lot of it's going to fall on practitioners because that's where I feel like the main um, like advertisement of a sort comes from for this field. For one, I think it's important to have programs actually say, hey, we're here. Uh, so <laughs> with, with student affairs, like people don't go to their undergraduate experience saying, hey, I'm going to be uh, in res life. I'm, I'm going to be in rec sports or uh, counseling services the rest of my time after uh, undergrad, they sort of fall into it with on-campus jobs or they gain experiences through internships or uh, even being involved in student organizations and uh, Greek life and things like that. So as people are going through these experiences, it's probably good for student affairs professionals to just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, how do you like to do this uh, for years to come? And just let them know that they're there. Uh, when it comes to, like, the programs themselves, I mean, uh, now more than ever, I mean, we're seeing a generation that's more involved on social media with technology and everything else. So definitely making use of those social media platforms. Uh, something that's interesting is that Facebook is starting to become considered, like, the old people's social media platform. It's so weird. It's so Very. weird. And so even Twitter is starting to age a little bit. So definitely looking at those trends, what are the undergrads getting on and how are we going to be able to uh, actually spread the word and advertise what we do, uh, what we offer and everything else. And so from there, I mean, uh, Instagram and even some blogging sites. Uh, but when it comes to information, it's like uh, what experiences uh, the students are going to be able to get through like uh, practicum uh, experiences in their classrooms uh, maybe assistantships that are being offered how much it do each uh, assistantship uh, cover when it comes to tuition maybe room and board if that's what that assistantship offers I mean uh, also I mean showcase the faculty as well uh, as we were going through a lot of our textbooks, it was very, very interesting to see that like a lot of these authors and writers were, one, on my own faculty over at uh, my home institution, but also there were some that were just down the road. I mean, you have all these experts and uh, different types of topics that were just a, hip, a hop and a skip away. So being able to advertise that, being like, hey, we might not have this professor, this professor that's very knowledgeable on intersectionality, but all you have to do is just uh, set up a meeting with them, and it's a short half-hour uh, drive away from campus. I think for me, I was definitely a classically over-involved student who was pushed into the field. I think it ended up, I ended up being lucky in the sense that I... You know, I did the classic involvement. I was on student activities board. I worked on campus, um, but I also had some other niche opportunities in my undergraduate experience that I think prepared me for just a little bit of a different student affairs-esque role. But I don't know that I would have been prepared if I hadn't also been interested in other types of careers. 
Um, just in the sense that I know a handful of people from my undergrad who have also gone on to grad school in higher ed or student affairs and feel like they were kind of just told that they would be a good fit for the profession solely be based on their undergraduate involvement. And I speak with students almost every day who are planning to pursue a career based on their four years of experience. And there are a lot of students who I talk to who express a fear of burning out too quickly because they aren't sure that this is the right path for them, which makes me nervous for them. You know, applying to graduate school and making the financial commitment to a career and such a specific graduate school degree type that not to say that the skills you learn in higher education and student affairs are not transferable. They definitely are. I consistently do presentations on how, you know, student affairs uh, goals and career types and learned skills are transferable to other industries, but I am always sort of nervous for them in a way. I don't know. It's like the, the, the student affairs side in me that gets nervous for them as they're applying to our programs because I don't want them to, you know, commit to a program that they're not totally sure that that's the career path that they want to take. But, you know, they had a good three years as an RA and their RD told them that they would be good at, they could do this for their job, um, which some people that works out fine and this is the path for them. Um, but I sometimes think that going to graduate school right out of undergrad for higher ed is almost limiting in a sense that you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into a career at colleges and universities, which sometimes students burn out of so quickly and then they are very fearful of what's next because they aren't sure. Yep. I am just nodding. That <laughs> 100%. And then I think in relation to searching, you know, there is this huge conversation about fit and what exactly does that mean and how that specifically targets um, minoritized identities. But I think it's important to understand that, as students or people that are applying to programs, we have an obligation to ourselves to make sure that this program meets our expectations and is going to meet the goals that we've set forth about ourselves. Because typically when you're coming out of undergraduate, you have a little bit more of the vocabulary and the language to say, I want a program that is rooted in social justice that maybe is located on the West coast or the East coast or wherever. Um, this is what the program may cost and can I swing it if I get an assistantship or even if I don't. I think in terms of assistantships, having some kind of idea of some identified like three functional areas that you want to do, but understanding what kind of um, opportunities those different schools um, offer. So a student that I've been talking to, she is wanting, excuse me, to do Title IX work as her either assistantship or internship. With that, not every institution is going to offer that experience to graduate students. So then you're making sure that part of what you are considering is, if I go to a grad program that doesn't have this, am I missing out on this opportunity? Because this is the opportunity I said I wanted. Um, and then I also think, who is in that community and what does that community look like? Not just institutionally speaking, but the external community. If you can't get mentors in or um, colleagues or friends or this community for yourself within the campus community, are you going to be able to get it outside of the campus? 
and being transparent with people. I think I've been on the student affairs graduate student page a couple of times and there are people who will post like, hey, such and such as deadline has passed and I haven't heard anything. What does that mean? And I didn't have that, I guess, that same sense of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say anxiety about it. I know, at least in my experience in talking with other people, there's a lot of pressure around those decisions, right? Where am I going to be for the next two years? Um, and what does that look like? So if something does change, being able to communicate that to people. Once they're in and admitted, and maybe even this is a conversation that happens prior, um, is having a conversation about the realities of the field um, and making sure that those conversations are happening about that particular student's intentions on going into the field. One of the things I think I have come to learn about myself is that we talk about higher ed in a lot of a, a glorified sense and that it can be a lot of fun and it's very exciting and rah, 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 rah all the time. Um, and sometimes that is the reality, but most of the time that is not the reality. Um, and being able to have those candid conversations with students and saying, yeah, there are going to be some days that you're going to have a blast and it'll be wonderful. There are also going to be days that you may or may not put your hands on somebody's child. Don't do that because you'll lose your job, but you might leave your office ready to strangle someone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's important to show that, you know, we, we do get a little bit, we do get a little backed up with our rose-colored glasses, our bright ex expectations of the field and all the positives that come with it. But the reality is like, there are just so many days where it's hard for me to either get up or go to the office or leave the office. Like it can be draining work. And if we're not honest about that, we're doing a huge disservice to people. I think the other part of that conversation too is why is it that you want to be in the field? Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, in my interactions with, with some people, and even in myself sometimes, I've seen that people go into student affairs because it is, with the rose-colored glasses, it is fun, and it's exciting, and it's upbeat. Um, and you get to tell people that you work on a college campus for a living, even though you have to spend the next 45 minutes to hour after that explaining what it is that you do. But I think being honest with people and asking them, like, why do you want to go into this field? Is it for the development of the students that you're going to work with and to challenge them through that experience? Or is it because you were a good student leader, you were really involved, and because you were really involved, you would make a great fit for the field? I mean, I talk to students so frequently. I mean, I work with the students I work with are most of the students applying to our specifically our higher ed grad program are not older than me. So not older than 25. And, you know, some of them come from very relevant backgrounds. So maybe they did two years as an AmeriCorps VISTA, which is a really great way to get your feet wet in terms of knowing if working in a 
higher ed setting is right for you. But the students that I see coming directly out of their undergrad, a lot of them, you know, talk about their research projects or talk about their study abroad experiences, which are all very transformative and relevant life experiences. But I always question whether or not they are just going into higher ed because they're getting a degree in sociology and they really aren't sure what's next for them. And they're like, well, I feel comfortable here. I really like my undergraduate environment. Let me go do this again, which honestly is what I did. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I took the LSAT. I thought I wanted to go to law school. In the middle of the LSAT, I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer, (laughs) which is like really bad when you're taking a four-hour exam that costs you like $300 and you've been studying for for months and then you come out of the exam and you call your mom and she's like, how'd you do? And you're like, I don't know, but I don't want to go to law school. And then you're 21 and you're Uh... not sure what you want to do. So you go to higher ed grad school. For me, it worked out fine. I think solely because I have a more analytical, strategic type mindset that works well on the admission side. Um, But I... Um, I always ask students a lot of questions. What are you going to do once you leave this degree? Please write about that in your personal statement. Please think about as you apply to these programs, you know, you're going to be leaving this at 24 or 25 with no work experience because your graduate assistantship is not work experience, although it is really good hands-on experience. Um, you're going to be leaving your degree program at 24 with no work experience and only one path pretty much for the most part. So I encourage students to think about, you know, the reasons that they see themselves in higher ed long-term, the reasons that they are um, ready to be in this field with a lot of professionals who are older than them, ready to be the youngest person at a table for a long time. Uh, Also, like when it comes to those, Internship practicum experiences of being of being able to advertise. These are the schools that we have nearby as well. They might not have a student affairs program, but the they have these offices, and we've worked very closely with them uh, for the past five, ten, fifteen years in uh, making sure that our students are uh, getting a well-rounded experience, not just textbook experience, but actual hands-on as well. Let's say your assistantship isn't like. Uh, what do you want to go into the future? I mean, you still have two, maybe three chances to find other experiences within the field. And to That way you can find something that you actually truly care about and are passionate about as well. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's. I think it's important that we kind of separate the idea that when you go into grad school or even as you're preparing to go into grad school to know exactly what you're wanting to get out of it or exactly what like to have an idea that this is what I'm going to do out of grad school and it's going to be great. No, in reality, like I went to grad school thinking that I really wanted to get into student activities and that's the route I wanted to go. And then I realized, nope, wellness programs was for me. And now I do wellness programs and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So it's like having that open mind, like, hey, if you can get, if you can get in, get your foot in the door, be open. Because <laughs> like you might be dead set on res life right now, that might be something for you, but you might find something else that you really love. I just want to add this last piece because it just came back in. There's yeah. been a lot of conversation, um, and I kind of touched on this briefly, but a lot of conversation around minoritized identities in higher ed and the labor 
that those identities are going to have to do to either to one educate upper administration to deal with and educate students. And I say deal with because you have some students that are very nasty in their <laughs> yep. privilege. And so um, I'm, and I'm not talking about like the general student who like wants to learn and wants to engage and doesn't know versus the cognitive dissonance of some of our students, some of our leadership, some of our colleagues. Um, so just recognizing, you know, for me, this is definitely a question that I struggle with because a lot of my mentees have minoritized identities, gay, bisexual, trans, um, or a person of color. So, and I, and I share the person of color, but I'm a heterosexual cisgender woman. So like there's some pieces and that mentorship is still there and it will still be there. Cause I will always ride for my people, but, um, for my mentees, but recognizing that, for me, the conversation looks like if I'm not doing this work, I'm not waiting for my colleagues with privileged identities to do this work because they're not necessarily going to do it with the understanding of what it means for me to take this risk. And so I'm not saying it's easy, but this is one of the reasons why I do it because this next generation needs to see that. And like mm-hmm. I said, the educational pipeline doesn't just exist in K through 12. So mm-hmm. recognizing that, that that's, that is, I don't want to say my burden, but some days it does feel like that. Recognizing that that is, that's for me, again, speaking just for me, because other people may disagree on this with me, but recognizing that that's part of why I signed up for higher ed. And I knew, I knew what I was getting into. It's still exhausting some days, (laughs) but I knew what I was getting into. All right, time for the music break portion of the podcast. This week we're bringing you brand new tunes from the band No. N-E-A-U-X is how you spell it. No, the new album is called Chain Up the Sun, and it is out on the Native Sun uh, Records. Uh, Our good friends over there at the Native Sun once again giving us some support, and I wanted to share some some tunes from No. It's actually, uh, you might recognize the singer uh, if you're familiar with uh, some mid-2000s... I don't even know what to call it. Scene music. It's got Sierra, the old lead singer of Versa Emerge, doing her old, her own new style of fuzzy shoegazy stuff. I love it. It is a really cool album. Uh, from beginning to end, you get a lot of different sounds. It's lush. It's airy. It's atmospheric. It's really beautiful. Uh, go to thenativesound.com. Uh, and check out their store to get some really cool vinyl pressings, some CDs, digital, whatever you want, some shirts, whatever. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on the on the page. And check out No on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Find them. Get get uh get to know No. <laughs> that was pretty good. All right, now I'm gonna play you the song Love L U V spelled love. Uh, by No off of the new album Chain Up the Sun.
All right, that was Love by the band No. Check out their new album, Chain Up the Sun, on thenativesound.com. Get those vinyl, get those CDs, get those digital copies, however you ingest music. Now, let's get back to the conversation with all those professionals that are in this uh, episode uh, uh, talking to me. Huh, this is why I'm glad y'all get to do more most of the talking this time. Uh, <laughs> did you feel that? Did you feel that your program properly prepared you for entering the field? Yeah, I definitely feel like my program definitely uh, made me ready for whatever. And so, a part of that has to do with like our in-field experiences, like how I've been uh, talking about earlier. Um, our program actually has three practicum experiences in the field that uh, we get to take. Uh, two are, one is in the fall, one's in the summer, and then uh, one's in the spring as well. And so with those experiences, what you get to do is you're literally in an office doing the work. You still have a class that you're reporting back to and you're learning about other people's experiences as well. And so, I mean... Being able to actually practice what you're learning in a classroom was extremely valuable. And also another thing that they were very, uh, that they were hitting hard on was like uh, presentation techniques as well. Uh, So our uh, program definitely encourages us to try to uh, get some presentation times, whether it's in like uh, regional or national conferences and so when it came to group projects that we were doing, maybe it was like a group of two, group of four, but it's like uh, not only are you uh, doing this research, you're turning in this paper, you have to be able to present it. And even with our final presentation, which is a huge capstone project for us, uh, we had to be able to do like this conference style uh, presentation. So we had a couple of rooms that were set up with uh, people just giving presentations over what their project was. And so uh, just having that hands-on experience was very valuable. Um, Paper writing, I mean, we do it. Same thing with reading, we do it. (laughs) We don't do a whole lot of paper writing in the field, though. (laughs) Right, right. But the faculty definitely recognized that, that we don't really do a lot of paper writing in the field. They did prepare us to do what we need to do for our uh, jobs uh, going into the future. Or if you're interested in uh, submitting uh, an article to a journal, but yeah. Or even like, or even like proposing to like a conference or grant stuff too. Yes, definitely. So definitely feel very prepared. I mean, even going into the job search, uh, the uh, graduate program was very supportive, very helpful in uh, providing us uh, preparation opportunities and even gave us a hint and a nudge here and there to make sure that all of us were going to uh, be all right by the time graduation came around. I think it did. I think, um, you know, BC has a, a decent enough reputation of <coughs> placing students after uh, after the program, I would say almost all of my cohort mates are still working in higher ed, which is a good sign since we're more than a year out. I think every student has a different experience. So I don't want to, you know, bash BC in the sense that like I had a great experience there and I can't say that I didn't. Um, but I think that 
I could have gotten the experience at a lot of places. So I don't know necessarily that BC specifically was the right place for me at that moment in my life. I think a couple of years in anything would have given me a bit of perspective on what it meant to be a student in a higher education program at a school within a a religious affiliation that you don't associate with. Um, And I think, I think I would have been more introspective and reflective in during my time in the program had I started it, let's say now compared to three years ago. I also, I mean, I think you, you get what you are, you get the years in your program that you are enrolled. So, but I think the students now in the program probably have like a ton more to discuss necessarily. Um, 2014 and 2015 were, I wouldn't say dead years by any means, but they, I mean, comparatively to like what the students are talking about and what my students are talking about right now in, in courses, I think I, I would have found it a better experience in terms of learning about the deep, deep, deep uh, divides and just lows that higher education is currently going through. Oh yeah. Um, Like all the political stuff. Yeah. The political stuff. And then just like in general, like the hierarchy of higher education for me as an administration student and an organizational decision-making student, I think it would have been a lot more interesting for me Um, because I think before I think it was like maybe like the semester that I graduated was really like starting to pick up, but it was a lot of sunshine and rainbows and I don't see the world that way. (laughs) I think that all higher ed programs have deficits. Some have more deficits than others. So what I mean by that is, you know, I went to an institution and am Jesuit educated. And so when you think about the mission of the Jesuits um, in terms of holistic support of students Um, holistic development of students, when you think about um, the fact that they are known educators, to me, that was a natural thing, a natural reason why I chose Seattle University and student affairs. Like those two, the the mission of the Jesuits and of Seattle University and the values fit really strongly in line with student affairs for me. Um, I also was in an urban environment. I Yes, it was a predominantly white institution, but like my K through 12 education, I'm a product of Seattle Public Schools and, you know, was always in the majority when it came to student demographics, um, specifically around race. So I think that some life experiences prepared me and some of, and some of them were my program experiences. I think one thing that um, needs to be talked about more in all of the programs is changing student demographics. So how are we further supporting um, certain demographics of students, especially when we haven't always included those students? So thinking about like trans students, how then the political sphere and what that looks like when you are just getting out of grad school versus what, what that looks like when you continue to move up. I don't think the programs do enough um, education around it. Like we'll talk about it, like in the leadership and higher ed classes, whatever those classes look like at those respective schools in those respective programs. I don't think we talk about it enough. 
and how it is so pervasive in higher ed? Um, I think that... I think that there's a distinction between the program piece and the assistantship piece. Um, I think that assistantship wise prepared me um, to a much higher level. Um, I felt more prepared for my assistantship than I did from my actual program in and of itself. If you think about like the academic piece of it. And I think part of that was um, like, if I look back to my reasoning for coming into student affairs, like, um, and I know that I've shared this on um, the Art of Survival site. Like, I have had some pretty traumatic experiences in the past. And, like, the people who helped me get through that were some of the res life professionals in my undergraduate career. It was coordinators and hall directors who helped me work through that pre-existing trauma. And so, like, seeing that experience and that knowing that that was why I came into student affairs, for me, my assistantship took on... Um, I guess, more meaning or more weight than the academic program. Um, And part of that, I think, again, may go back into the lack of preparation in terms of not knowing what to look for academically in a higher ed program. Um, But like, so for me, I feel like I funneled a lot more of my time time and energy into my assistantship than I did my academic coursework. And knowing that like as a grad assistant, I think I was only required to do probably, I think it was like 20 hours a week or something like that. And week after week, like, I don't think there was a single week where I actually only did 20 hours of work. Like it was significantly over that every week. And as a grad student, I didn't necessarily mind that um, because I felt like my assistantship was really preparing me for working in this field. Um, Whereas my academic program, I think because I had placed that sort of on the back burner or maybe a side burner, um, I don't feel like I necessarily got as much of the preparation, but I also wonder if that's because I didn't put as much focus on that, right? Like, so like the theoretical classes, um, the higher education law class, I think those are probably the two most applicable that I felt like kind of prepared me for working with students and working in the field. But a lot of what you mentioned in terms of like having an assistantship that exposed you to the political landscape of higher education, like those were things that I found way more valuable. And so when I look back at my master's experience, I hands down think that it was my assistantships that my assistantship and then like my internships that prepared me significantly more for working as a professional than the academic program did. Those assistantships are pretty, pretty important for us. Yeah. And then, but I also think like, so I've got a student who up until a month ago, he was looking at going into higher education Um, and while he was searching programs, like the main component for him was assistantships, but like, it's, I was talking through the schools that he was looking at and stuff. There was such a high number of them that didn't necessarily offer assistantships or ways to necessarily get that practical piece that I like, like for me, like the assistantship was the crucial point to really understand what it was going to be like to do this work. And so I don't really know how just getting that academic and theoretical background would have prepared me. And so knowing that even if a program doesn't have assistantships, like if there are ways for you to get internships or if they have a partnership with a different institution that you can work at or some way so that you can get the hands-on experience so that it's applying that theory to practice versus just taking everything in from a textbook. Well, and even like what you were saying earlier, some websites don't even put that information on their site for uh, what the availability or even the process of getting an assistantship looks like in every school is going to be different too. The the coursework, the coursework I think did a really good job. 
Um, my experience uh, assistantship and internship wise was a little different. Um, so I held my graduate assistantship at the University of Louisville for a semester um, and then lost it due to some poor decision making on my end. And from there, I bounced around really from internship to internship. Um, so I did some time at Indiana University Southeast working in their student life office. I worked in Barbados for a month at the oh. West Indies, which was a whole, like a whole culture shock by itself. It was absolutely wonderful, but it was a whole, it was a different ball game by itself. Um, and then in my last internship, I worked at Hanover College, a small private school in Indiana, doing uh, their app rollout with Ooh La La and trying to get student organizations and students to use the app as a way to connect and engage with the campus. So I didn't get to see a lot of the political side of higher education. I knew what was going on, um, but I didn't necessarily get that seat at the table all the time. Hmm. Uh, and so it's been interesting being here because we are a small school of about 700, 750 students. Um, I am two steps away from the president's office. So it's my supervisor, the VP, and then the college president. Um, so what happens is, is now that I'm a little bit closer to that level, I hear more of those conversations. And it's always an interesting balance, um, I think, when you hear some of the conversations about what possibly the institution's priorities are and where that kind of fits in with what we do in campus life, it makes it a little more interesting, I think. Hmm. Seems like you got, in getting bounced around, though, do you think that you got a lot of good... Uh, understanding of what you would or would not want to be involved in doing professionally? I definitely believe so. Uh, which is funny because I knew going on the job hunt, I knew that I didn't want to be in housing, but I'm here in housing. <laughs> uh, I was in a weird position with my job search. It was either uh, it was either go through this interview, end up here at the college, or stay at the university, well, not stay at the university because I graduated, but stay in Louisville, find a place to live and start going through that process. And last but not least, it was go back home to Louisiana and move in with my family. And as much as I love Louisiana and as much as I love my family, I knew I didn't want to go home because mm. I'd, I'd have never left. I know I'd have never left Louisiana after that. Yep. Yep. Uh, That's ex that was exactly what happened with me, to be honest. None of my friends were leaving Oregon, and I was like, well, I feel kind of stagnant here. I right. need to do something new. So I just went to Massachusetts for grad school, and I'm probably never going to move back to Oregon. <laughs> With campus politics or even office politics, it's definitely something that mainly because, especially if you're brand new in the field, I mean, uh, getting knee-deep in like office politics is definitely not something you want to do or whatever. You want to create your own experiences. You want to be able to make your own name when you just got out of grad school as well. So uh, being able to do your job while appeasing different factions is definitely something that's a very important skill to have. 
and eventually, like, even if you're not even intentionally trying or looking, at some point you're going to end up in some kind of a political faction on your campus or in your office or whatever. But it's, it's still being able to remain professional, uh, being able to just do your job and being able to be approachable, being able to collaborate with everyone around you. So I think, you know, the program was great. It prepared me. I... But I think it was a lot of me thinking in the back of my head, this is not how higher education works and everybody talking about how good it was. And I was like, well, I was always the dissenter in class. I was like, well, oh, good. Uh, but does it really? Um, yep. And I, I, I tend to just like think that way in general about a lot of things. Wouldn't call myself pessimistic, but I definitely wouldn't call myself optimistic either. Just, um, you know, I, I like that. Yeah. But so I think I would have had a better experience being a couple years older, but I don't think that was really the fault of the program. And I think I was still well, well prepared to leave, maybe a little naive in the sense that I really thought I was like the most marketable student ever in the history of the world. And people who spoke to me during like my job search probably were like, this girl's full of herself. Like, who does she think she is? Um, so that sounds a lot like me. <laughs> I just was like, I'm so marketable. I'm, I have so much experience. I didn't, but it's yeah. okay. I think you and I can relate there. I'm realizing this, like, not that I'm job searching now or anything, but thinking about my next steps. I'm like, wow, I really only have a year and a half of work experience. And the two years I spent getting my piece of paper were really valuable, but it's still a piece of paper. Yep. <laughs> and it has, yep, yep. it has no, comp- like I, I think about this in meetings when I'm like sitting fighting with people and I'm like, wow, I really missed out on two years of learning how the workforce works. There's a misunderstanding of what these programs are supposed to do. These programs, I think people come in and think about, okay, student affairs programs are supposed to prepare me for how to work with students. I don't agree with that. I think what they're supposed to do is prepare you to understand yourself so that then you can work with students. And I'm a little concerned when I watch people enter these programs and leave the same way. And we all know colleagues who are exactly those people. What I have been impressed with is people who really take the theory to heart, who sit back and look at, okay, this is where I'm at within whatever theory and I'm, this is how I'm moving through it. So this is how I may support students then moving through that. And because now I've grown and developed in these ways, like I can then help students grow and develop. Because I think a part of understanding where students are is understanding where you are to be able to then serve them. All right, that wraps up. Uh, part one of the grad school prep conversation. I want to thank Lisa, Joe, Veretta. Derek and Alyssa for joining me this first the for this first uh, installment. They'll be back next week with the next installment of this grad school conversation. We'll have more tunes, more great conversation. Uh, you'll get to hear more of my sick nasally sounds. Uh, luckily, I muted a bunch of that stuff, so you missed out on that. So feel. Feel lucky that you didn't get to hear all me being sick. Uh, hopefully, 
Uh, I might even get Katie Ham on the horn next time when we uh, when we record uh, for the next uh, part. Who knows? Whatever. If you liked what you heard on the music this week from the band No N E A U X No, uh, check out thenativesound.com to get copies of their new album Chain Up the Sun. Very cool artwork. Very cool vinyl copies. Very cool sound. I really like it. And don't forget the premiere of the new Higher Ed Geek podcast comes out tomorrow so go to higher higheredgeek.com and support dustin and uh, subscribe to his podcast and listen to all the weird nerdy geeky stuff that he has to share uh i'm sure it'll be great his last podcast was awesome and i can't wait to hear what he does with this one Give us a follow at EduPunksPod on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends, rate, review, subscribe. That would be really nice. Follow me at Craig Bittedman on social eh, if you want. Whatever. I'm getting political these days. It's typical. But I'll try to cool down a little bit. All right. I'll see. <laughs> Katie says I won't. I probably won't. They're right. All right. That's all I got this week. Let's get to work. <laughs>